Church, we are approaching the end of our series, Tulip, going through the doctrines of grace. Very difficult doctrines. Uh, maybe this has been the first exposure for you all um, to these doctrines. Uh, here at New Hill Church, our pastors hold to these doctrines. Uh, we've talked already about how um, it's secondary, meaning, let me clarify, meaning secondary. It's important, but Jesus won't be like, were you a Calvinist, five or four point, and if not, you can't come in. That's what we mean by secondary. We do not mean it's of less or no importance at all, okay? Amen? Everything in the Bible, everything that the Bible talks about is important, uh, regardless of the side you land on issues, um, but this is not one where you are going to be kept out of heaven, you are going to be kept out of being reconciled to the Father from a dispute. That being said, we believe it here, your pastors believe it, we teach it, and we hold to it. So let me give you a brief recap. We kind of skipped around. Uh, the, the doctrines of grace can be summarized in this acronym of TULIP. That would be the total depravity of man, which means man's uh, condition. It's our, our spiritual medical condition that we are um, completely dead in our sin. We are incapable of saving ourselves, of adding to our salvation, or coming to faith on our own. We need Christ to intervene by his spirit to come on us and, and draw us to himself and save us, okay? We are totally depraved. Then we have unconditional election, that God has a people for himself, that he's saving for himself, that it's not of our doing. It's, it's not that he looked and saw, hey, Michael's going to be a, a good guy from West Virginia. That's one. Uh, it's, it's not going to be these attributes that he's bringing to the table, but for, for the purpose of, of my sovereign will, I'm choosing my people and redeeming them for myself. You see this from the Old Testament, New Testament, always in God's plan. Today, we're going to be in limited atonement. We'll get there in a second. Next week, irresistible grace. And then the other one we hit, see, we went out of order, T-U and P. Uh, P is the perseverance of saints of the saints, and that's if you are truly saved, you will be saved for all of eternity, beginning at the moment of your salvation when you repent and believe. Baptists call that eternal security. We go a little bit further and say perseverance of the saints or even the preservation of the saints because God is actively preserving his people, right? Paul says uh, to the Philippians, he says, he, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. So we praise God. For it. Now we come to today, the L, which is limited atonement. If you know atonement, that's the payment, right? That, that Jesus was uh, the substitutionary atonement for his people. This is actually the most contested, even of, of Calvinists, right, which your, your pastors would say that we are. You have what we call four point, which would be the T-U-I-M-P, and some people have a dispute on the L. I will contend this morning, and we'll get into it, that the L is so important. It's so important because if we don't have a right understanding of the limited atonement, and we'll get into that in a minute, then we lose sight of evangelism. We become universalist. Because if Christ atoned for the sins of every person who walks the earth, then God would be unjust to send anybody to hell, okay? That, now think about it. If your mortgage told you that your mortgage was paid off and they kept sending you a bill, they would be unjust. You got the final bill that said paid in full, but they're still sending you a bill. And we know, church, that God is not unjust. We know that God is faithful. He's faithful to, to save. He's faithful to redeem. And he is gracious in giving everybody a sense of grace. Even those who don't know him reject him and will die rejecting him. He lets them live this life on this earth. 
God is gracious, and he is slow to anger. So we're going to get into this limited atonement. It would kind of sound like limited payment, okay? Now, what this isn't is like Chipotle. I was talking to a buddy of mine. Um, he was explaining to me his most recent experience at Chipotle, and I found out that everybody in Northeast Ohio loves Chipotle, right? Like, it's just something, like, everybody just seems to be drawn to it. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like it now, too. Took a little bit of time. Uh, I like, you know, a lot of fattier foods, not the healthy, you throw the cilantro on. It just tastes too fresh sometimes. Um, but he was telling me about his experience, and he goes up, and he's in line. There's a few people in front of him, and they go to take the order, and they're like, oh, hold on, we have a mobile order. They go, and they, they get the mobile order. They run, like, three bowls through, and then they're like, okay, how can I help you? They do the one bowl, and they're like, oh, hold on, we got a mobile order. Another three bowls of mobile orders, and it's like, it's getting a little crazy. And then my buddy, he comes up, and he says, hey, I'll take white rice. He's actually, we're all out of white rice. He's like, what do you mean that you're all out of white rice? You are Chipotle. Aren't you supposed to say, hey, white rice is at a quarter, right? White rice at a quarter. Get it going. We need more rice. We've got rice in the back. And they just run out. How do you run out of, out of rice? You can talk to, to Gary, and he can tell you why we're running out of things right now after service. Uh, but they, they ran out. Now, what this isn't, what this doctrine isn't, is that Christ didn't have enough blood to shed to be sufficient for everybody. That's, that's very important. So even though this has been dubbed limited atonement, we would be uh, more precise, like the atonement, to call it definite atonement. It was sure to happen. It was sure to be applied specifically to Christ's people. So our main point this morning is that Christ died for his people. Now this is gonna, it's gonna start to set in where we're going here and maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable because what I'm going to contend for is that Christ did not die for the entire world. But let me explain why. Let us turn to the scriptures. As you all are turning there, I'm gonna pray for us, but we're gonna turn to John 10 to pick up in the first 18 verses. And understand with me that there is a general love for all creation. That's not what's being talked about this morning. We understand that God has a general love for all of his creation and a special love for his church, okay? That's just the same way as I've got a general love for all of you all, but I have a special love for my wife. That wouldn't be contested. So neither should the one who we get the imagery and the picture of marriage, should it be contested that, hey, he loves his bride more than the rest. That's faithful. That's, that's a, a God. That's a, a spiritual husband. Christ is our husband. That's, that's who we want. We want that example. We want that leadership. We want that love. Amen, church? Amen. That's so good. Let me pray as you all turn into John 10. Father God, be with us this morning. I pray that we would all be humble and just come to your, your word. God, I pray that we would continue even now in our seats just praying for one another just that we would, we would draw near to your word as you draw near to us through it. God, I pray that you would move amongst us. God, that your spirit would just open our hearts and our minds to what your word would have to say. God, and I pray, I pray most importantly, God, I pray earnestly this morning that as we understand this doctrine, it drives us to go and to tell that the debt is paid to those who repent and believe and we call the world, oh God, to repent and believe in the gospel message. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die for your people. And I pray that we would begin to see a little bit of the misconceptions that have been outside of your word but have been given to your people, that we would see the beauty of this doctrine. That indeed you precisely aimed for your people and you're saving them today and until you come. God, we praise you. 
God, we thank you for your spirit who's working inside of us, changing us and making us into your likeness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Christ died for his people, and the three points I wanna talk about is the people, the purpose, and the proclamation. Three points to drive that main point home that Christ died for his people. The first point, the people, right? Who did, who were the people that Jesus died for? Okay, so we're gonna establish, okay, that Christ did not die for the whole world. And we're gonna get to the purpose of that, right? I didn't really know how to do the order of these points, so maybe you all like, will like walk away and like, dude, if you would've just started with point two, we'd have been like, we'd have been with you the whole time. So be gracious, show me grace. Maybe I could've done this a little bit differently, but here we are turning, most importantly, to God's word to see what he has for us this morning. So Christ didn't die for the whole world, and in John 10, we see exactly what Jesus did. Now, this is... Think about, I don't know if you all have seen like American Sniper, right? And maybe this is, you know, some of us are uncomfortable. We don't, we're going to talk about Chris Kyle here this morning. But he was precise. He was, he was spot on. And that's what we're going to see here in, in John 10, verses 1 through 18, that Jesus was precise with his sacrifice for his people. Verse 1, John 10. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what, church? Saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the what? The sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus goes on. There's a little tidbit there. If you're wondering who the other sheep that aren't of this fold that are coming in, it's the Gentiles. There's always this, this progression that's moving to the gospel, being proclaimed to all the world, and that, that not just the Jews would be saved, a remnant of, of Jews, but also the Gentile people would be saved also. This is good news. But notice exactly what is going on here. Jesus, from his very own mouth, 
And verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Then we go on to verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down, lay down my life for the sheep. I cannot get the downward. I just keep, I keep going around it for whatever reason. Lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is making it abundantly clear that the, the ones he's laying his life down for are the sheep. Now the question would become, well, then who are the sheep? Are all people his sheep? No. Not all people are his sheep. Just like we understand the doctrine of adoption, right? That we are adopted into the family of God. So if you're adopted into a family, you know that you weren't a part of that family to begin with, right? We can understand that. We see it practically. When we look at adoption, we've got families here who have gone through the process of adoption. It's so beautiful because it's a picture and a reminder of the gospel, that we were apart from this family, and we've been chosen and graciously adopted in, not to just be pushed to the side, but to be cared for and loved just as you were their own. That's the beauty of Adoption, and it all starts to make sense here. So are all people his sheep? Are all people his children? No. My kids, they've got this really, really bad habit, and it's, it's my wife's fault, and I can say this. We talk about it all the time. So if any of you all think you're gonna surprise her with me disagreeing with her on this point, and you're not, you're not gonna surprise her. You're just gonna fuel the fire that I'm right, and you're gonna agree with me. So this is what it is. My kids, they've got some uh, cousins. They've got some cousins uh, here this morning. Uh, Max and Shauna are, are, are here. Those are cousins. Shauna is Aubrey's first cousin, right? Shauna's mom is Aubrey's dad's sister. We all get how this works, right? So that's her cousin. So then when Shauna has a baby, that's another cousin. Well, every time Maylee sees Max and Shauna, it's, it's Aunt Shauna. I'm like, it is not your Aunt Shauna. And it drives everybody, it drives Aubrey crazy. Just let him, let him call her aunt. She can call her whatever she wants, but that's not her aunt, right? If we did a lineage, if this was like, this was my story, right, and we're starting with the lineage at the beginning, Shauna would not be included as Aunt Shauna. You'd be included in the family, don't get me wrong, but you're a cousin. And it's the same with the word, and it's important that we understand this because what we want to do is call those who are outside to the inside, but to get to the inside, you have to repent and believe. Amen? So not all people are his sheep. And Jesus, with, with the cross in mind, he had precision planned out. Turn to Matthew uh, 121. It should be up on the screen. We have this prophecy of, of Jesus, right? And in the prophecy, we get exactly what Jesus was coming to do. And this is good news. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Now, this is probably not super controversial, right? Some of us are like, all right, maybe I don't understand the point. And maybe that's just the spirit working and, and showing us the unity behind this doctrine because it's so important that Jesus died with precision with, for his people. It's definite atonement. He thought of his people he laid his life down. Now, there's a few confusing passages. If you're here and you've already studied this and you line up on the other side, maybe you're a four-point Calvinist, you're not a Calvinist, there are confusing passages. But let me ask a question. Do the scriptures contradict themselves? No. Are the scriptures confusing at times? Yes. Like, I, a resounding yes, absolutely. You can ask anybody here, 
Um, and they will tell you, yes, the scriptures are confusing, but that does not mean that they cannot be figured out. And it doesn't mean you need a magnifying glass to figure it out either. It just takes time and diligence, effort, care for the word. So what are those confusing passages? We're not going to skip them this morning. We're going to go right at them. 2 Peter 3.9. Peter says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So you get this idea, it's not his will that any should perish, so why would, why would the atonement be limited or be definite in its application, that it's only for his people? Well, one thing I, I know that I forget about a lot of times when I read the scriptures, so this is me talking first, and maybe some of us have never considered this, is the grammatical context. When we're reading the scriptures, there's grammar, right? There's, there's intent. This, there's historical context, too. The scriptures were written to believers. So when it uses words like any or us or the world, we have to take into consideration who's being written to and when they're being written to and what they're dealing with, right? Like, like you, you see, and it might be one of the scriptures, I, I think I included it, where it talks about that the, the gospel will go uh, to all, Right, and, and, and it's going out to all, and it, it was this point of, it's, it's Peter, I know it is, I'm trying to think of the verse, but he's saying that it's also going to go out to the world, the Gentile people, because you want to know one of the things that the, the newly converted Jews were dealing with? They didn't like the Gentile people. So this thought that the gospel message was going to go to their enemies, ones who were persecuting them and hating them and killing them, it was irate, right? It was, it was, it was blowing their mind. But the gospel doesn't discriminate. And they were writing those things to let them know, hey, the gospel is going to go out even to your enemy because God has a people for himself of every tribe and every tongue and every, of every nation that he's going to save definitively because he atoned for them. It's so important. So when we read that, that it's not his will that any should perish, but we would have to wrap our minds around like, well, does God not get his way then? No, God gets his way. In the Psalms, it says God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases, right? We don't want a God who doesn't know what's going on, just like we wouldn't want a coach who didn't know how to coach us about that sport. We wouldn't want a pastor who didn't spend time in the word. We wouldn't want a, um, a, a friend who didn't care for us and tend to us, right? We have a God who is in control and is actively saving his people and has had a plan that wasn't an afterthought after the fall. It was a thought before the fall that it was God's plan all along to save a broken people for himself to display his glory through our weakness. There's another difficult passage because this one deals with propitiation. 1 John 2.2. This is probably the verse I was talking about where it's going out. And so what it says is he is the propitiation, the, the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, you just lost your, your, your uh, fifth point there, Pastor Michael, right? You just lost it. This is where I would go into the grammatical context of what is going on. It's so important that we understand, and, and R.C. Sproul uh, contends with, and th again, this is a highly contested point. I get that. But the scriptures talk about it, so we got to figure it out, right? R.C. Sproul contends that this is the gospel going even to their enemy. Not, and, and the gospel, indeed, church, goes to all people. We're going to get there in point three. But the atonement, 
the atonement, the application of the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for his people has to be applied to his people. Otherwise, God would be unjust to send those who were atoned for to eternal hell. So John, yes, the wording is confusing, but when you understand the context of who he's writing to and why he's writing to them, you see that the gospel is going out. Not just to them. It's not just their sins that are going to be washed away, but those around the world who repent and believe. And that's why we go. Because we know that even the worst neighbor we've ever had who gave us all the problems we could ever imagine can be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen, church? That's why we carry it forth, knowing that, yes, it's definite, but the gospel goes to all. And our perspective on the people, the atonement it applies to, it changes when our understanding of the purpose is correct. Point number two, the purpose. So the people, Christ died for his people. And what was the purpose of it? What, when we look at the cross, do we know what Jesus really accomplished? Because when we begin to really understand point number two, it makes point number one maybe a lot more like chill for us. Because Jesus didn't just die like taking a bullet for your friends, right? Like any of us can do that, that selfless act. But none of us could go and bear the wrath of God on a cross for all of humanity, for all of his people. Do we, do we understand that? That when, we, when someone asks, what did Christ accomplish on the cross. He satisfied, church, the wrath of God, paying the debt for his people. We could never do that. That's what Jesus accomplished. It wasn't just dying and this, this, this love story, right? It was indeed a love story where he's redeeming his people, but it's his people that he's redeeming because the purpose and what he accomplished could not be applied to other people. So let's take the other stance. So 1 John 2, 2, if we say that he's a propitiation, I mean he paid for all the sins of the whole world, we would become what we call universalist, which means what we're doing here this morning is pointless because what it means is everybody's going to heaven and there's really no point to evangelize. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't go off and be a bad person, but I can tell you something right now. If I could prove universalism, which would be awesome, right, if we could just in our flesh just somehow prove universalism to work, like, there's no eternal hell, there's no real payment, Jesus just died as a, as a love story, right? Then what are we doing? What are we singing praises for? You can ask Nelson after, like, hey, man, like, why do you belt it out and lose your voice week after week, right? Like, he comes and he's like, I can't, like, let me tell you something, when I can't breathe, like, my throat, like, is scratchy, that's the worst, right? Like, what are we doing that for? It's because we know that those things aren't true. We know that universalism isn't real. It would be great if it was, right? Like, oh, man, everybody, we all get to go to heaven, no eternal hell. But that's not the case because we understand the purpose of Christ on the cross, that he was redeeming for himself a people that the Father had chosen before the foundation of the world and Christ definitively, definitively died for them and atoned for their sins. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the what? Forgiveness of sin. So Christ on the cross, he says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, right? Now, this is the reality that we're all aware of, right? Like, no matter what point 
we, or where we stand on the issue. Not everybody will go to heaven, but not everybody will go to hell, right? We, we get that. That's a reality, and, and it's a reality that some of us were just smacked right in the face with when we saw a loved one of ours die, and we're like, I, I don't know, like in that last second, and that's that little bit of hope we cling on to, but we know that they did not ever publicly profess Christ as Lord over their life. We know that they go to hell. And that's a sad reality that we have to see and witness and know that it's true and, and is true from God's word. But we also know that God is saving actively his people who Christ atoned for on the cross, right? And those people are singing praises. Those people are praying with one another in, the, in between songs, just, just letting it all go, understanding what Christ accomplished on our behalf on the cross. It says the forgiveness of sins. That's what Christ did on the cross. He, he satisfied the wrath of the Father. Romans 5, 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. See, it's important because he shed his blood on the cross. He was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So it's because of the blood of Christ that we are, we are now spared from the wrath of the holy, eternal, triune God. This is where we get the doctrine penal substitutionary atonement. Penal being uh, linked to penalty, that there's a penalty on our behalf because of sin. We've talked about that back in the, the T of total depravity. We know that we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Substitutionary, meaning he's the substitute, standing in your place, pleading on your behalf. Your sin was imputed to him just as his righteousness was imputed to you at the moment of your salvation. Atonement. He was the payment. And it's, it's this free gift, right? We talk about this a lot. It's a free gift to us. But it was surely and fully paid by Jesus Christ. That's why we praise. It's not that a debt was just wiped. It's that it was paid. You see, it's not that the mortgage company just said, nah, just forget it. That would be universal. Nah, whatever. No, Jesus on the cross said it is finished, meaning it is paid in full for my people. I am standing on their behalf. I am pleading. And when Christ, when the Father looks at you, if you've repented and believed, he sees not you in your sin. He sees Christ on your behalf because Jesus on the cross took our sin to those who believe. That was the purpose of the cross. First John uh, 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in the same book where we see the propitiation of the sins for the whole world, what John says here, which gives us even more full context, is he says he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Earlier when he says not just for our sins, but also for the world, the gospel church is to go out to all the nations. Point number three, the proclamation. Just because we know that the atonement is definite, the mission never ends. The, the proclamation of God's word never stops. 
We are to go and to proclaim the goodness of God over all creation, amen? Because it'll either lead to their salvation to where they can say, hey, Christ paid it for me, or it will condemn them on the day of judgment when God points to every moment and every instance in their life where this person and that person proclaimed the gospel to them. We are not to stop proclaiming. You see, the, the fault line here for, for Calvinists would be like, oh, God's sovereign, so it's just gonna happen. One thing we've tried to reiterate every week, not just in this series, but every week, is that we are to go and to be the messengers. Amen, church? Christ died that by repenting and believing, you may be forgiven. Pastor Mark was sharing a story, and this, this changes your evangelism. It doesn't stop it. It empowers it. You hear me? It doesn't stop your evangelism. It empowers it. Pastor Mark, before he ever even heard of these doctrines, was sharing a story where he went to somebody and he said, hey, Jesus paid for your sins. Uh, you need to believe in him. And he said the guy looked at him and said, Jesus paid for my sins? He's like, yes. He's like, I don't have to believe in him. He's like, yeah, you do. He says, you just said Jesus paid for my sins. It's already paid. You said paid, past tense. It's done. That I can go about and live my life. I'll see you in heaven, brother, right? And Mark said he was just like, boom, like, didn't just go and like, hey, I just need to figure out how to fix this. In his head, he's like, that's a valid point. So what it does, church, is it calls us in our evangelism and in our witness to tell people to repent and believe so that they can be forgiven. Because it's not over until they repent and believe. Surely God has a people that he has chosen for himself, but we are to actively go and to share the gospel. And as we do that, church, God has chosen to use us to display his glory and to call people to himself. R.C. Sproul says, Obviously the merit of the atonement of Christ is given to all who believe and repent of their sins. That's why the limited really just isn't a good word. Because anybody who repents and believes is paid for. It's done. It's finished. So we are to go and to share the gospel. And you're like, well, what's the application of, of this point, right? Limited atonement or definite atonement. Church, you can be assured that Christ paid for your salvation on the cross. He died for his people, and the purpose was to satisfy the wrath of God, a wrath that we could never fulfill on our own, and those who are going to fulfill it are gonna fulfill it for eternity in a place that has gnashing of teeth and is separated from God forever. It will be paid. But to those who repent and believe, Praise be to God, because it has been paid, it has been paid in full. And we also know that Christ has saved for himself a people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. What does Revelation 7, 9 say? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Church, God is saving people indiscriminately across the board because he has people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We support missionaries, and we are too also to be missionaries in our neighborhoods going and proclaiming the gospel. That's not an option. Being a four or five point Calvinist, Calvinist, it's an option. Being an evangelist, sharing the gospel, living life on mission, it's not an option. 
Praise be to God for what he has done because God is actively, even today, saving his people made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Ben, go ahead and come back up this morning. It is so important because it changes it. It changes how we're speaking to people. We are calling them into the family that they are not a part of apart from Christ. We are calling them, hey, repent and believe. What does repent mean? It means turning away from your sins and believing in the gospel. What is the gospel? That, why, that we are sinners separated from God at the moment of our birth. We are born in sin. But that Christ died so that all who believe in him wouldn't perish. But if you don't know Christ, you will surely be separated for all eternity. There's no doubt about that. But if you repent and believe, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's what he accomplished on the cross. So that you don't have to earn, you don't have to work, you don't have to hope, and maybe I can. You can surely praise God because he definitely did. Church, if you all would, go ahead and stand. We're just going to sing praises this morning. And um, if you all have questions, again, throughout this series, we've been doing a Q&A. You can go to newhilloh.com slash ask. Send those questions in. And the last Sunday of this month, we're going to be answering those questions um, on Sunday morning. We just want to help you all grow in your faith and answer these, these difficult questions. Maybe some of you are like, that makes sense, right? Because if Jesus died, if his blood was spilled and applied to everybody, then no one should go to hell, right? No. He died so that those who repent and believe can be assured it's paid in full. And we go out and tell people that hope that we have in Christ and Christ alone. Father, thank you for this morning that we've had. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this call that you've placed on our life. God, you've saved us. You've taken us from death. You've given us life. And you've called us. You've commissioned us to go and to share the gospel, to proclaim this good news. Father, it is great news. As we begin to, to wrestle with difficult doctrines, maybe this is the first time, but it won't be the last time that we just we start, hey, I, I just want to learn more and more about your word, God. I pray that most importantly, we would understand that this isn't for knowledge. It's not just to have just some, some theological terms and doctrines to put in our pocket. But God, this should result in the proper praise and adoration of you, our holy God. Because of these doctrines, because of your word, we can draw near to you. We can know more about you, our gracious God. We can know more about your being. We can know more about who you are. And the more we get to know, we say, praise be to God. Praise be to God who, who doesn't just sit back. The God who doesn't just sit back, stagnant, wondering what's going to happen. No, he, you, oh God, have had your people in mind before the foundation of the world. God, I pray that as we leave here, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, God, that they would repent and believe and they too could leave here jumping and shouting, saying, it has been paid, it's paid and full. Christ is my Savior. And to your church, God, we would leave here ready to go and to proclaim this good news, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. No greater love. Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. Uh, I'm sure there's trials ahead for, for many of us.
things around the corner that we don't see coming yet, but God, we pray that you would just go before us, you would lead us through it. God, and you would teach us from it. God, thank you for this morning that we've had to, to gather in your name in the presence of one another to praise you. Pray that you would just bless this time and this day as we go out and enjoy the beautiful weather that you've given to us. And we pray that you would bless the offering this morning, multiply it for our good and for your glory. And God, just be with us this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.